The unnatural order is all around us. There are white witches, black witches, demons, vamps, werewolves, shapeshifters, ghosts. It's a protoplasmic party of creature features out there. But unless you know where to look, you won't find them. I know where to look. My name is Harry Strange. The Harry Strange Radio Drama is performing live at Dragon Con Atlanta this year, September 2nd through 5th. The full cast supernatural thriller was created and written by HWA member Tony Serechia and will be part of the Atlanta Radio Theater Company's regular Dragon Con performances. The show is a full cast play performed as a radio drama. For ticket or interview information, please contact Mr. Serechia via email at tony at tonyserechia.com. You can also find a link in the show notes for today's episode of The Lift. The Lift is created and shared for free, but there are hard costs associated with its production. To lend your support to the show, please visit support.victoriaslift.com. Supporters of the show get new episodes a few days early. And at $5 a month, you'll get access to behind-the-scenes artwork and bonus audio. Support the show you love at support.victoriaslift.com. Do you like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com Hi, this is Daniel Foytek, and I am the writer for today's episode of The Lift, The Storm. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work over at ninthstory.com. You can find more fantastic episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. What are you going to do? Shoot me? Tony crossed his arms over his chest. Me? Tony the Storm Matroni? You're even dumber than I thought. Now give it to me before I get really pissed off. Rachel hesitated, the gun trained on his forehead. She'd had enough. This was going to end tonight. Tony closed the distance between them and raised his arm to strike. She pulled the trigger. 
Fuck you, she whispered. Tony stared at her, a look of shock and amazement on his face. He reached up and touched the large red hole in the center of his forehead with his fingertips. He brought the hand away, looked at the blood, then collapsed to the floor. He stared past Rachel, and his eyes took on a faraway look. Victoria, he whispered. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. Became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine. Where the reality of story shapes thoughts. Where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your fate. Rachel was afraid. Afraid of the dark road ahead, afraid of how fast she was driving the Lincoln, and, more than anything else, afraid of the dead man in the trunk. Rachel took a deep breath, then reached into her purse. With one hand gripping the wheel white-knuckle tight, her other hand managed to pull a cigarette out of the pack and bring it to her lips. She pushed the car's cigarette lighter in and leaned forward, trying to see. Even with the wipers on their highest setting, the rain was so heavy, the lights and road ahead shifted and twisted, making it nearly impossible to drive. Luckily, the roads were deserted, due in part to the storm, but mostly to the late hour. She jumped when the lighter popped, then reached out, grabbed it, and brought the glowing red circle to the tip of the cigarette in her mouth. She sucked in, the crackle of the paper lost under the sounds of the pelting rain and overstressed wiper blades. She pulled the cigarette from her lips and exhaled explosively. It burned her lungs, but the pain was welcome. She adjusted the rearview mirror and stared at the empty back seat, as if she could see through it into the trunk where the body lay. She should feel safer with Tony dead, but because she was the one who had pulled the trigger, and because of who his family was, she was more afraid than ever. She started to bring the cigarette back to her lips with a trembling hand, and changed her mind. She stubbed it out and focused on the road, squinting through the miasma of rain. She breathed a sigh of relief as the bridge she had been heading for came into view. She pressed harder on the gas pedal and sped forward, anxious to be done with the whole thing. 
The car jostled as she turned off the road and onto the hard-packed gravel. She tried to ignore the thump from the trunk as her cargo bounced. Shut up, you bastard, she said, and brought the car to a stop under the bridge. She sat for a moment in the dark and stared at the shaking tip of the cigarette in her hand, trying to remember when she had lit it. Hadn't she just put one out? She crushed it out in the ashtray and cried. She cried often, but this time she wasn't ashamed of her tears. These came as a result of her making a choice, and though the choice may ultimately result in something worse for her, she felt empowered for the first time in a long while. They weren't tears of shame or pain. They were tears of release, of possibility. It took a few minutes and more than a few tissues, but she managed to get herself under control. She took a deep breath and opened the door. The dome light came on, a miniature sun burning in the darkness, illuminating her. She slammed the door in a panic to douse the light before the sound of the chiming bell registered. The one that tried to remind her the keys were still in the ignition. Oh, shit! Her voice echoed back to her from the darkness under the bridge, bouncing and folding upon itself several times before fading away. She stood still for a moment and listened. Aside from the sounds of the steady downpour and running water, she heard nothing. She chuckled. (laughs) What had she expected? A cop jumping out from behind the support column asking her what she had in the trunk? She sighed and pulled on the handle to open the door. Or tried to, but the handle slipped from her hand. She grasped it again, squeezing tighter, pressing the knob in with her thumb, and pulled. Again, it slipped from her hand. Shit! She stood looking through her reflection in the window, seeing the keys dangling and slowly swinging back and forth. Closer, now further away, now closer, now further the pendulous motion seeming to taunt her. How had the damn door gotten locked anyway? Had she locked it out of habit as she stood from the seat? She must have. She shifted her focus to her own reflection. The bruise on her cheek was coming into full bloom now, and her eye was puffy and squinty. She'd ice it later, and makeup and sunglasses would hide it, like they always did, but her split lip would be harder to disguise. She hoped it wouldn't need stitches. She closed her eyes and turned from the phantom reflection in the glass. This was the last time she'd see her face distorted by a lump of bone, muscle, and anger. Rachel looked at the ground, searching for something, anything, heavier and harder than the glass. The butt of the gun in her purse would have been handy, but that was also inside the car. 
she trudged through the area, too dark to reveal much. A bad thing if you were looking for a rock to break the window of your murdered boyfriend's car, so you could dump his shower curtain-wrapped body in the nearest river. But, she realized, this was also a good thing if you didn't want anyone to see you break the window of your murdered boyfriend's car so you could dump his shower curtain-wrapped body in the nearest river. A large truck rumbled over the bridge above and she jumped at the sound and stumbled. Pain exploded across Rachel's forehead, an unwelcome but familiar sensation, one that made her forget where she was and what she was doing. She instinctively curled up into a ball, covering her head and face from blows that didn't come. Disorientation passed slowly, and she rolled to her side, reaching out into the cold, wet blackness and finding with her fingers what her head had discovered. Salvation. She pulled herself to her knees without letting her hand move away from the hard lump of stone, afraid she would lose it in the dark. She still felt dizzy, so she knelt in a quasi-bowing position and waited for it to pass. Knees and feet cold, wet, going numb. She took a deep breath, grabbed the rock, and stood. It was misshapen, cold, and awkward in her hand, but Rachel held it tight. She spent a few moments debating which window to break. Was it better to break the driver's side window and get soaked and have to deal with the glass? Or was it less likely to attract attention if the passenger window was gone? In the end, she chose to shatter the rear passenger side window. The night was already bad enough without having to deal with sitting in a pile of broken glass as water pelted her in the face. Once she had the door unlocked, she picked up the rock and smashed the dome light, then rolled up and over into the front seat to get the keys. Nothing was ever easy. She got out made her way to the trunk and opened it. The trunk popped and creaked in protest as she pulled it the rest of the way open. She hesitated, looking at the shower curtain-wrapped lump. He was big, and she was small. She had managed so far, but now she'd have to get him up over the rim of the trunk, then down to the river. She grabbed handfuls of shower curtain and pulled grunting with the exertion. She heaved again and barely got his shoulders over the edge. This wasn't as easy as she'd thought. Books and movies would have you think you just pop down to the river and the rest took care of itself. But that wasn't the case in the real world, especially when you had to move a lump of shit as big as Tony. She tried again, climbing up onto the bumper and leaning backward, pushing with her legs. Fuck you, Tony! She grunted between clenched teeth. She'd be damned if she let the dead asshole get the best of her. Frustration and desperation became anger and fear as she imagined a police cruiser finding her trying to manhandle a corpse out of the trunk. 
The adrenaline came, and suddenly she was flat on her back, with a dead man's head resting on her stomach. She kicked out from under him. Now she just had to get him down to the water. Her whole body ached, and she was shaking from exhaustion when she finally rolled him down the bank and watched the raging current whisk him away. She wondered for a moment if he'd make it to the Gulf of Mexico or end up snagged along the bank someplace for a bear, boater, or fisherman to find. Not my problem anymore. Rachel knew Pittsburgh well, but for some reason she could not find her way to the Liberty Bridge. She must have made a wrong turn somehow. Not surprising, since the storm continued to drown the city, and none of the streets in this area had readable street signs. What was surprising was no matter which way she turned, she kept ending up in front of the same building. After passing it for what had to be the ninth time, she gave up and pulled into the parking lot in front of the old Victorian building. She turned off the car and sat as the rain hammered the car's roof so hard and so heavy her ears hurt. She turned up the radio, but it didn't help. A double flash of lightning slammed into a pole next to where she had parked and rained sparks down onto the ground around the car. Her lower lip trembled. Logically, she knew the safest place in a lightning storm was inside the car, but when a second and then a third bolt of lightning struck the same pole, she began to question that wisdom. What in the hell? Rachel whispered. Was this pole erected for the sole purpose of attracting lightning? She trembled, wanting very much to be anywhere but inside the car. A comb of electric fire lit up the entire sky, and the lights all over the city went out. All of them but one. A faint golden glow came from the lobby of the old building ahead. It seemed to be inviting her in. Maybe that building would be a better place to wait out the storm. It was when the lightning struck the pole again she made her choice. Fuck this! Rachel swung the door open and darted through the ankle-deep water in the parking lot, nearly stumbling twice. She reached the front entrance, pulled on the door, and stepped inside. It was eerily quiet so quiet that she could hear the squish of her boots and the sound of water dripping from her bell-bottoms onto the tile floor. She stood in the lobby for a moment, catching her breath, looking at the tufted leather couches and huge reception counter. As she was deciding what to do next, she heard the chime of an elevator bell and looked up to see the doors slide open. A small girl stood inside the lift. Her long blonde hair flowed down past her shoulders, and she wore an outfit almost identical to the one Rachel wore. But the child's was all purple. The girl giggled and stuck out a foot, 
Wiggling it back and forth, she watched as the large flared pant leg rippled. Brilliant! (laughs) She said with another giggle. How much fun is this? She turned from Rachel and looked herself over in the polished brass of the elevator car. The girl took a golden lock between her fingers and examined it. So flat! (laughs) I had no idea it was this long. Rachel stood watching, confused by the girl's fascination with her own hair and outfit. The child turned around and stepped to the side, beckoning to Rachel. Come on then, let's go for a ride. A ride? Yes, silly. A ride on my lift. You look wet. I can take you upstairs so you can get dried off. Rachel stood staring for another moment. This was all very odd. But getting dried off did seem like a groovy idea. As soon as Rachel stepped in, the doors closed and the lift lurched upward. They passed one floor in silence before the girl spoke again. Sometimes the wrong choice is the only choice you can make, she said. Rachel looked at the girl. What? Choices are hard. I've made several choices I wish I could change. The girl (sighs) sighed. Just know that the wrong choice is sometimes the better one. Rachel furrowed her brow and swallowed. Did this girl know what she had done? No, that was impossible. What are you trying to say? Two things, which is actually one more than I'm permitted to. First... The girl paused as if she was carefully choosing her words. We often think if we can change things, we should... This isn't always true. Rachel's heart hammered in her chest. This girl did know. Somehow, she knew. What? Why are you telling me this? Because yours is a special situation. Part of this is my fault. What do you mean by that? I don't understand anything you're saying. The girl frowned. I know, but... I think you will when the time comes. Arm yourself with this memory. And it would trigger the proper action at the proper time. Rachel sighed, still very confused. The kid was talking in riddles, but she had more important things to worry about. Okay, what's the second thing you wanted to say? The lift came to a stop and the door opened. Rachel was propelled forward. That I'm very sorry, the girl said. The first thing Rachel noticed was that she was no longer cold and wet. She blinked and shook her head. She was back in the apartment. Something that sounded like Gloria Gaynor was playing in the next room, fighting in volume with the television... She heard James Garner teasing Stuart Margolin, and then heard Tony laugh. Rachel stopped and looked down. She was wearing the same clothes, but they were dry and clean. This was earlier tonight. She was home again. 
The flight had been canceled due to the coming storm, and she had returned home. How was this possible? Had she imagined the last five hours? Jesus! She stopped and closed her eyes. Was this deja vu? Hadn't this already happened? She walked down the hall and stepped into the bedroom, knowing what she was going to find. The same nausea she felt the first time came back. There was Tony, his back to her, bent over a table, snorting coke. He was still wearing his boxing robe, the storm emblazoned on the back of it. Two naked women were passed out on the bed. She stood there, stunned, not sure what to do. Tony sat up and wiped at his nose, looking into the mirror with bloodshot eyes. He saw her. Ah, fuck, he muttered. He turned to Rachel. You were supposed to be out of town. What the fuck are you doing here? You sneak back to check up on me, you lousy bitch. Rachel opened her mouth, but no words came out. Before she knew what was happening, his hands were wrapped around her arms just below her shoulders and he was shaking her. His lips were moving and he was shouting at her, but she couldn't hear what he was saying. Spittle landed on her face as he continued screaming. Then she felt his hand strike her face. White, glassy pain exploded as she flew back into a large shiffer robe. It wobbled from her impact with it. Something heavy fell on her lap. She looked down and stared at the object. Tony's gun. You clumsy bitch, pick it up and give it to me, Tony said, holding out his hand. Rachel looked at him, then back at the gun. It was heavy in her lap. She touched it. It was cold. The glint of a shell casing caught her eye. It was loaded. She picked the thing up and pointed it at him. Tony laughed. What are you going to do? Shoot me? He crossed his arms over his chest. Me? Tony the Storm Matroni? You're even dumber than I thought. Now give it to me before I get really pissed off. Rachel saw herself rolling him into a shower curtain. She saw herself pulling him out of the trunk, then rolling him into the river. She lowered the weapon. She wouldn't be a murderer twice in one night. There was another way out of this. There had to be. She could just leave him. We often think if we can change things, we should. This isn't always true. The girl's voice echoed in her memory. Tony closed the distance between them and raised his arm to strike. I told you to give it to me, you bitch! She brought the gun back up and pulled the trigger. Tony stared at her, a look of shock and amazement on his face. He reached up and touched the large red hole in the center of his forehead with his fingertips. He brought the hand away, looked at the blood, then collapsed to the floor. He stared past Rachel, and his eyes took on a faraway look. Victoria? 
he whispered. Rachel held her breath, watching the women on the bed. A gun had gone off in the room, yet neither had stirred. Turn down the TV, Tony, one of them finally mumbled before rolling over. The other continued snoring. Rachel stared at the gun in her hand for what felt like an eternity. Then she stood. A great calm came over her. She took the weapon and laid it on Tony's chest. She walked into the bathroom, pulled the vinyl shower curtain from the curtain rod, then laid it on the floor next to Tony. After she rolled him into it, she returned to the bathroom and came back with a container of bleach and a hand towel. She had expected it to be worse, but try as she might, she could not find an exit wound. Just the big red hole on the front of his head. There wasn't even that much blood. She wiped up what there was, poured a little bleach on the floor, and wiped it away. Rachel laid the towel over Tony's face and folded the shower curtain over top of him. She returned to the bathroom, put away the bleach, and took a moment to hang the spare shower curtain on the rod. She sat at Tony's desk, picked up a pen, and thought for a moment. Five years of writing checks for him and signing his name was going to come in handy. She jotted down a note, reached into the drawer and pulled out a few bundles of cash. She peeled off six crisp $100 bills. She lay the cash on the table next to the bed along with a note reading, Dear Bitches, Get the fuck out. Tony. Rachel stepped out of the bedroom to find the car keys, but found herself back in the lift. The girl from earlier was there, standing in the corner, but appeared different. Her hair was a mass of curls tied back into pigtails, and she wore a long, lavender, turn-of-the-century gown. As odd as this outfit looked, it seemed right somehow. The girl smiled then, but there was a great sadness in her eyes. She held a small box in her hands, and when she touched it, it began to play a calm, soothing melody that Rachel knew well. It was a song that her grandmother used to sing to her when she was upset, and it always soothed her. The girl turned her eyes from the box to Rachel. Rachel gasped. The girl's eyes were a bright, glowing green. Rachel tried to scream, but no sound came. Don't be afraid, Rachel. I'm here to guide you. There really wasn't another path for you, or for Anthony. You need to accept this and move on. Rachel found her voice. I'm a killer now. I killed him. I had a second chance, and I still did it. No, you choose life. He chose death. He always chose death. Sooner or later, that choice was going to result in his own. Or yours. I shouldn't have done it. I don't know why I did it again. The girl lifted the lid of the music box and pulled a small folded piece of paper from inside. She handed it to Rachel. 
Take this, Rachel. See the other path. The one you should be glad you didn't take. Rachel took the piece of paper and unfolded it. It was an article torn from the newspaper. Rachel read the story. A story about her and her own death. That's what would have happened if he chose the other path. He got away with it. The girl said. I couldn't have that. Who are you? How are you doing this? Rachel asked. Oh, yes, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Victoria. As to how I'm doing this, it's very complicated, and I'm afraid we don't have the time for the explanation right now. We need to get you out of town and on your way to a very important future. The lift reached the lobby, and the doors slid open. Rachel stared at the girl for a moment. Victoria? Tony said that name. Victoria's lip trembled. Yes, well that's another complicated story. One for another time. Now let's get you on your way, young lady. There are things to be done. We'll see each other again. Rachel turned and saw a man sitting in the lobby. He wore a dark suit, and she could see the bulge under his suit coat. Oh no she said, and reached for the door close button. Victoria stayed her hand and giggled. (laughs) You're safe, Rachel. This is one of my friends. Someone like you. Someone I've helped before. The man stood and made his way toward the elevator. Victoria took Rachel's hand and led her out into the lobby. The man stopped in front of them and smiled. Hello, Victoria. Victoria smiled back. Tommy, Tommy boy, Tommy kins tomato. (laughs) She giggled, then hugged him. It's good to see you again. Is everything ready? Yes. He patted the bulge in his suit coat. New ID, birth certificate, social security card, all the paperwork reach. I mean, Renee here will need to start over. Very good. Renee, this is Tom. He'll take you the rest of the way to your new life. Today's episode featured a story by me, Daniel Foytek, The Storm. If you'd like more information on me and my work, you can visit me over at ninthstory.com and follow me on Twitter at dfoytek. Artwork for today's show was created by John Towers. If you'd like more information on John and his work, Please visit him over at stigmatastudios.com and you can follow him on Twitter at Johnny Axe. That's J-O-N-N-Y-A-X-X. John creates art, comic books, graphic novels, and a great podcast called The Abercast. He had a long-running show called Red Horse Radio and he recently put that away to start a brand new show called The Abercast. It's all about the paranormal, the occult, and other strange things. If you're a fan of this show, I think you'd enjoy it. It's not a story podcast. It's a discussion podcast, but still a lot of fun. You can find that over at stigmatastudios.com by clicking on the Abercast link. This episode was scored by Stephen Matico of Wide-Eyed Otter and Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Today's outro was Let My Creep Funk Your Disco Horror Show by Stephen Matico. Today's narrator was Cynthia Lohman. 
Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com forward slash S1E19. Big thanks to Colorful Cupcakes, who left us a review over at iTunes, a gem. As a huge fan of the Twilight Zone, this was the perfect podcast. Thanks so much for that. We really appreciate knowing that you're enjoying the show. And as a fan of the Twilight Zone myself, I can't think of a better compliment. If you'd like to hear your own review on the show, head on over to itunes.victoriaslift.com, leave a rating and review, and you'll hear it here on the show. The Lift is made possible by your support. Big thanks go out to our current supporters on Patreon, Diane Student of the History Goes Bump podcast, Christopher Nelson, Josh Wood, Paul Sading of the Atheist Apocalypse podcast, John Grills of the Small Town Horror podcast, and Brian Bristol of the You Are Here podcast. Without your generous support, it would be a lot more difficult to make a quality show. Thank you so much for that. We hope that a lot more of you will decide to jump on board and help support the show you love. You can do that over at support.victoriaslift.com. There are two options. You can join Patreon for ongoing support, or you can make a one-time donation to PayPal. Need more audio drama? Hashtag audio drama Sunday. And now, Victoria. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13. Follow the show on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortic. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music director, Nico Bitesi. Art director, Stephen Matico. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes... One society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13. Rebuilding society, one podcast at a time.